the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. Uh, my guest this hour is a veteran prosecutor for uh, Los Angeles who has authored what's being called the 21st Century Guidebook of Life Safety Skills for Teens, uh, Life Safety Skills for Teens, Their Parents, and Other Caregivers. It's called What They Don't Teach Teens. And uh, his name is Jonathan Cristal. He joins me by phone. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Tom. Did I pronounce your last name right? You sure did. Good. Okay. Thanks for asking. I'm terrible about names, Jonathan, so I just fess up and ask. Um, <laughs> that, that's the right way to be. But but let me let me ask this, which I hope won't be too impertinent, but why does it matter to a veteran L.A. prosecutor what people are teaching teens? Well, that's actually a very good question. I'm glad you asked that. So I'm, uh, again, a veteran prosecutor for the city of L.A. I see, you know, the mistakes that many uh, good, smart, but uh, make an impulsive mistake teens make, uh, you know, all the time. Um, Husband of 20-plus years. Um, I was a formerly troubled teen, shouldn't have lived through my teen years, but most importantly, I'm a father to three teenagers, and my wife Lisa and I realized years ago that it's on us to, uh, as their parents, to teach them a lot of life skills that they've got to have, but, you know, unfortunately, our schools um, aren't set up to teach them. That includes, you know, their digital footprint, cyberbullying, street smarts, their rights with the police, what is sexual consent and what is it not, what acts can amount to sexual harassment in a work or school environment, and the list went on and on. And so I looked, I was wanted to teach uh, our sons this information, could find no book. My wife encouraged me to, to write the book that I was looking for, and that's how the book was born. Were you able to draw on your own personal experiences and observations uh, professionally, or did you have to do a lot of research to feel confident about giving people advice? Yeah, well, um, actually, uh, it took five years to write the book. It was, <laughs> it was a really, really, so, so yes, everything uh, on the list. I had to do. So, you know, uh, I'm a very busy professional. Um, I'm a supervisor in the city attorney's office, so I got a lot going on professionally. Obviously, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, as a husband and dad, there's a lot of moving parts to my family life. Um, so five years of research, uh, of writing, of interviewing. And, you know, the hardest part about writing the book is th the book is really 11 mini books. It, it essentially, again, 11 books in one. And the hardest part was taking uh, a subject like your rights with the police and, you know, distilling it to its essence, giving every reader from every background the information they need, um, and then doing it in one chapter. Because it would have been a, a lot easier for me to write 11 books rather than 11 mini books, because, of course, it's harder to write short than long. When you talk about interactions with the police, that's a big topic right now. As, as you well know, and all over the country, people are protesting because of the, the shootings of, of black men by police officers. Um, you know, the best known of the recent cases, of course, is George Floyd, which wasn't a shooting, but uh, resulted in his death in any event. Um, what can you tell 
not just young black kids, but but teens in general about how to behave around the police so as to put the policeman at ease a little bit? Wow, uh, Tom, uh, that's, that's a very insightful question, and um, it's got a, got a lot of layers to it, so let me peel back a few of those. So sure. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that, um, you know, not just two people of color uh, to convey this information, because I make very clear in the book um, that, you know, this information is tended for, you know, all young people, and, and it applies to, to older folks as well, but it's intended, at least from the author, as important information regardless of your demographic, the color of your skin. Um, and it's just, you know, <clears throat> these are young people's rights. And it's astonishing to me that these aren't being taught um, to all kids in school, but they're not. Um, <clears throat> now, there are certainly people of color, people who are disabled, and certainly other groups who think that no matter what happens, whether they know their rights or not, whether they're, you know, they treat people or police with respect or not, their rights aren't gonna be violated. And I make very clear in the book, I'm not here to tell you otherwise, because you may have, a, the reader may have a very good reason for feeling that way. And I'm not here to say there isn't police, repo, police brutality or uh, <clears throat> racial injustice, because we see it, there, there is. Um, having said that, there are some just really important, <clears throat> you know, things for all people to know um, that can make the, the police interaction potentially safer for both them and the police. And so a few of those are, you know, <clears throat> being respectful to the police. No matter how you feel about the police, it is infinitely in all of our best interests to be respectful to the police. And I've been in a situation with one of my sons and a police officer, that's a story for another day, um, where my son was incredibly disrespectful at one of them, and I was shocked. And this is going back some time, you know, before I was able to convey um, some of this important information to him. And I said to him, I said, Bud, you know, I get the sense from our conversations that you may not like the police. Now, that's not how I feel. I like and respect the police. Doesn't mean I think, that, uh, doesn't mean I don't think that there's lots of changes that are needed in policing. But I said to him, I go, even if you don't like the police, but be respectful. It is in your best interest. I just want you coming home safe. And um, you shouldn't, you know, be subjected to, to physical harm if you mouth off to a cop. But, but, you know, it's possible. It happens to, to, to anyone. And so be respectful and, and know your rights. And if you're going to invoke your rights, do it with respect to the officer. It's not disrespectful to invoke your rights, but it certainly may be hard for you to do so. And, and even when we invoke our rights, it's no guarantee things will go as we want. You know, we hear um, a, a lot of black parents talking about their teen children, especially young men and mm -hmm. the talk is yeah. it wise for all american parents to sit down and have something similar a similar kind of talk with their kids specifically with regard to interactions with authority and law enforcement 100 percent. now let me be clear though um <clears throat> that you know i taught uh, my son, you know, the information in the book about police interactions, because, <clears throat> you know, I am concerned for their well-being, because I know I got the inside scoop, as many other people do, about what's going on in this country with respect to police brutality. Um, and, and you can't lay that, in my opinion, just at the doorstep of the police. There's lots of reasons why there is so much violence um, uh, that happens between, you know, the police and uh, the people
people they're policing. You know, they expect guns every single time they go somewhere. Um, there's, they have to deal with problems that they shouldn't have to deal with. There's lots of reasons. But the bottom line is, yeah, I have concerns about my own son. But having said that, the reason why many people of color have these conversations uh, with the, with the, their children isn't because they're concerned. It's because they're terrified of their children interacting with the police. So that's an important difference. But yes, I think it's incredibly important for all young people to have this information, for, um, regardless of their demographic, color of their skin, um, and so on and so forth. But I will like to say, as, as I mentioned in one of the chapters in the book, that when I was writing um, the two chapters, so there's one chapter just on your rights under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment, and then another chapter just on what to do and not do when you're pulled over by the police while driving or on foot. And so I showed it. I have a number of friends in law enforcement, um, as you know, shouldn't be a surprise. And I showed them all of the, the officers that I'm friends with who are parents of teenagers, or were parents of teenagers. Um, I showed them the two chapters, and I said, look, did, did, did it? angry, mad at me that I've given away, like, you know, the secrets. I'm telling people what you all use to your advantage, the tips and, and, and techniques that the police are going to use to potentially uh, have someone incriminate themselves. And they all said the exact same thing, which really was eye-opening. They all said, Jonathan, what do you think I taught my own kid? And so, yeah, to answer your question, Tom, for sure, if cops and prosecutors are teaching their own children, this, this information, I think anyone could benefit from it. Jonathan, I have to take a break here, but I, this is such a fascinating uh, conversation. I hope you'll stick around for about four minutes and, and we can dig down some more on the other side. Looking forward to it. Okay. My guest is uh, Jonathan Cristal. He is the author of a book called What They Don't Teach Teens. And it's not just about law enforcement. We're going to talk about some other things as well after we take a short break. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. 
Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with veteran prosecutor turned author Jonathan Cristal, who has a new book called What They Don't Teach Teens. Um, Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks, Tom. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, what parents should tell their kids um, about interactions with the police and, and how very often they might be able to behave in such a way that maybe puts the police at ease. As you pointed out, most police officers, when they approach someone that they're um, arresting or questioning, they're they're really on point expecting somebody to pull a gun. Oh, absolutely. You know, the two most dangerous things the police do are, one, respond to domestic violence calls, and two, pull people over. They don't know what you've done. You may know you're not a threat to the police, but they don't know that. Um, so, you know, they're going to be on edge. Uh, you know, so, again, there's a whole chapter on what to do and what not to do when you're pulled over uh, driving or on foot. So one thing, that the mistake that I see a lot of people make is, um, you know, they start reaching for their driver's license, proof of insurance, registration, before they're asked to do so. When the officer is walking up to your car, your hand should be at the top of the steering wheel. If it's at nighttime, you should have turned on your dome light. 
uh, roll down your window a little bit, or if you're more co- if you're comfortable, maybe roll it down a bit more, um, and just wait, wait for the officer to ask uh, you to do do whatever it is that he or she's going to ask. Don't get out of the car. I was um, it was weird about uh, two months ago. I was just sitting out looking out my uh, my kitchen window out in the street. I see an officer pull somebody over right in front of my house. It was an older person this time. It wasn't a teenager. You know, someone in their forties and. Before the officer could get out of the car, the driver had gotten out of the car and was walking back to the police officer's side of the vehicle. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man, that, that is mistake number one. Do not get out of your vehicle until an officer asks you to get out of your vehicle. And if an officer asks you to get out of your vehicle, whether they're right or wrong, you're going to have to get out. And one of the things, and I, you know, I, as you have seen, and, and I think most people have seen, videos of traffic stops. And one of the things that I see people do is start right out barking at the officer about their rights. Well, you know, uh, and I yeah, phrased I and too. I phrased it that way yeah. on purpose, Jonathan, yeah. because I, you know, yeah. I wanted to point out that you know it's often with an attitude, right? And, and, and here's the thing: look, should you be able to mouth off to an officer if that's what you choose to to do? It's I don't think it's a great decision. I think it's actually a bad decision. But if that's what you want to do, should be able to mouth off to an officer without you know being in fear of physical harm. Of course you should be able to, but, you know, we all see, like you said, we all see what happens, particularly people of color, particularly the black men, particularly uh, in the disabled community. So, you know, I, I think it's just a bad idea. Again, it's not to justify in any way whatsoever if, if a police officer, you know, violates the law or your, your rights or physically harms you. But, shoot, we see these things happening. And so, again, I just tell my own son, I want you home safely, uh, you know, so please don't mouth off. It's one thing to invoke your rights. You know, if you want to tell an officer, and I give language in the book about what language, the specific language I think young people should give, and I explain why I think they should use that language when they invoke their rights. No disrespect, officer, but my parents told me not to consent to searches, or no disrespect, officer, um, but my parents told me not to answer questions. Now, um, do, do you know if you invoke your rights or feel the need to invoke your rights? Do you have to use that exact language? Of course not. But it's a heck of a lot better than I'm not talking to you, officer, or you know, bug off. I'm invoking my rights. I mean, you know, the language I suggest it, it, it comes across. Hopefully, not in every situation, of course, but in many situations, like you're being an obedient child. You're respecting your parents' wishes rather than trying to make the officer's life difficult. Well, and I and I think as as citizens, we should understand that the police are under a tremendous amount of pressure, so they come into a situation a little keyed up, and it's just as important to us as citizens to de-escalate a situation as it is to the police. Oh, no doubt. You know, and I'm glad you said that because what, what I say, you know, among many other things in the book about the police interactions, I said, you know, it's better for you uh, to know your rights. It's, it's, it's better for the police if you know your rights. Um, and uh, it makes it safer for both of you uh, to know the rules of engagement, to know what's expected, to know, again, what your rights are. 
And certainly, if your rights are violated, which, again, again, they, they are going to be violated sometimes, you will be better able to hold the police accountable if you know what lawfully they did um, that was in violation of the law. Um, now, the book is about, obviously, a lot more than just interacting with the police. One of the things you talk about in the book, Jonathan, is cyberbullying. How is cyberbullying different than the bullying I remember on the playground when I was a kid yeah. and, and there'd be some big kid that picked on everybody? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm 49, so I, I remember those times, too. So, so let me just first take a step back. The book is divided into three sections. You have the first section dealing with police interactions and also street safety, situational awareness, using the power of your tuition, gun violence, etc. The second part of the book is about sexual violence and misconduct, sexual consent, sexual harassment prevention, dating violence, and online sexual blackmail called sextortion. And then the third book is the third section is all about your digital life, social media, your footprint, citizenship, cyberbullying, and so on. So going to your question about cyberbullying, yeah, that's that is the big game changer with respect to, you know, not being able to have a safe space if you are a target of uh, a bully. Like you said, when we were young, you know, you leave school, you go home, and you had a safe space. Many people had a safe space, right, at least away from the, the bullying. But now with cyberbullying, it can feel inescapable because our young people, many of them are walking around with that computer in their pocket, a.k.a. smartphone, at all times. And so it can make it, can make it seem, you know, again, like the bullying is inescapable. It follows you around. And there are just so many different ways one can be bullied in the digital world um, rather than you know, only in person gives a lot more opportunity for an aggressor to find ways to target a bull, excuse me, to tire, target the, uh, the victim. And you brought up a phrase that's new to me, I, I, and I don't know why. It's not that I don't pay attention, but sextortion. What is yeah. that? Yeah, so that, you know, it's interesting because I, I was very familiar with, you know, many, many of these topics when I started researching, writing, interviewing. But sextortion um, for me was, was also new, and, and it shouldn't have been. And yet, you know, so few parents and young people understand that sextortion is online sexual blackmail in which a perpetrator through a number of various techniques, which I lay out. I have an entire chapter just on sextortion in the book. Um, they acquire a nude or partially nude image of a target, and the <clears throat> and then they just wreak havoc or attempt to wreak havoc on that young person. So, the average age of a sextortion victim is 15 years years old, and according to the Department of Justice, sextortion is the fastest growing crime online against young people. Yet, so few of us know about it, or so few people know about it. So, one of the ways that sextortion happens, and again, there's multiple ways. But one of the perhaps most common ways is through an in-person relationship. So let's give a hypothetical, you know, uh, Joe and Sally are, are dating and um, there's a bad breakup. Now, during their relationship, they may have exchanged nudes. But let's say Joe's really, really angry about the breakup. Uh, and he says, Sally, look, Sally, I know you gave me those nudes uh, from my eyes only. But if you don't come back to our relationship, I'm going to post your nudes and tag you and every single person you know. Or it could be a similar situation where Joe says to Sally, Sally, don't break up with me. Um, because if you break up with me, 
I'm going to share your news. And so, um, and there's many other uh, ways it can it can happen. It's certainly not done on gender lines. Anyone could be a target or a victim. Uh, boys are victimized too. Um, but it's a it's a crime of unspeakable brutality, and and it's hard to protect ourselves from something if we don't know that it even exists. You know, it's funny when we talk about these things because I can't help thinking that in this day and age privacy is is kind of an unrealistic expectation and i'm not sure a lot of young people really uh, have an appreciation for privacy um, no doubt and, and, and you know candidly um a lot of adults too but the thing is with young people you know you know even if they you know don't take care in their digital privacy more than an adult you know, it, it can have a greater negative impact on young people. You know, they're just starting out. They got the whole lives ahead of them. Almost everything they do in the real world directly or indirectly connects to something they may do in the digital world. And they don't, young people don't always have an appreciation um, in their teens for how important their reputation is, how important their digital footprint is. Um, and, uh, you know, Google is the new resume. You know, if you want to know about somebody, Google them. That's what we do. And most people don't click, off, you know, the second or third page. So you, when someone Googles you, you want to stand out in a really good way. And so one of the uh, pieces of advice I give in the digital footprint chapter is to, you know, I, again, there's tons of information in the book. It's 330 pages. Um, but, you know, it, with respect to that, uh, the, the digital footprint is to populate your digital footprint with things you want that college you know, administrator to see, that you want a prospective employer to see, because they will be checking our young people out. And so go ahead, start from a younger age, you know, before you apply for the job, before you apply to college. Put, put things into your public social media feed, you know, if you getting an award or a recognition or getting a, a good grade in a class or doing volunteer work or doing something you're passionate about, you know, put your best self forward. Make sure it's authentic. It's got to be who you are. You don't want, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, phony, phoniness here, but put out your best self so that when, as an employer, you know, I'm checking you out. I see on page one of Google, oh yeah, you did, you did this volunteer work or you have, you're very passionate about this. You know, that's one of the important ways young people can distinguish themselves. Yeah, yeah Jonathan, a lot of us did dumb things when we were kids, but um, for, for some of us that are a little bit older, that stuff isn't following us around now in our lives the way it does yeah. when it's forever up there online. Yeah, no doubt. And, and so what I call that, because uh, as I indicated when we started, I was a troubled teen. I'm, I shouldn't have lived through my teen years. I was a good kid who got pivoted off path. I made a lot of mistakes. And so, and Jonathan, I, say, I, I have good. so many friends, that, and we've had that conversation. How did we survive our youth? <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Well, but I say, I, I, I explained how I did. I said, I got do-overs, and do-overs are a thing of the past. Do-overs are way harder to come by today than they were when you know uh, when I was a teenager, or you were a teenager, or the, any parent today was a teenager. And so, 
you know, in light of the fact that, you know, do-overs are, are harder to come by, you know, young people, they have to be even more proactive. They, they have to be more careful about, you know, particularly how the, you know, their digital footprint's going to look. Um, and that's a lot of forethought for us to uh, expect these young people to have. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's just it seems to be greater accountability today. Um, and that's why we want our young people to, you know, have information. You know, I, I don't know if my sons are going to know or follow every lesson in this book, but they've learned a fair amount from it. And, and as their dad, um, they're transitioning out of our home, you know, they're not going to be around much longer, particularly for my eldest son, um, who's 18. And, you know, my job, at least I feel my job as their dad, is to get them information so they can make informed decisions. I don't know what they're going to choose. I hope they always choose the right thing. But as their dad, let me just get them the information. Because, heck, they can't make informed decisions without information. And, and that's why I wrote the book, because there's so much information, you know, that, that young people need, adults too. But, you know, I can't have our son going off to college or even entering high school for that matter without, for example, fully understanding what is sexual consent. There's no maybes here. There's no excuses. You need to understand, you know, what sexual consent is, what it isn't. You know, why might that joke that you innocently told, why might that be construed sexual harassment? Or if it's not you, maybe it's your buddy or, or, or a girlfriend who says something that amounts to sexual harassment. And you can be the person to explain to them in a loving way, yeah, why that's not a good idea. So it's not just protecting ourselves. It could be protecting a sibling, someone we care for, and so on. I, I remember uh, feeling uh, very nervous about my teenage daughter and telling her one time, and, and she reminded me of this. I, I didn't really remember saying it, but it sounded like something I would have said that I once told her not to go anywhere she wouldn't want to be found dead. Yeah, well, that's wow. Yeah. And, and you know, um, it seems a little harsh, yeah. but I, I wanted to make sure that when she was out there making decisions, she would stop and think. Oh, well, you know, um, I talk, like I said, uh, I have a whole chapter on street safety and, and, you know, street safety is just, you know, one way of describing it. It's just, you know, situational awareness. Um, you know, when you go into, you know, a new building, a restaurant, a bar, a club, you know, a concert, wherever, your, a hotel, wherever your life travels take you, you should know when you walk in within two or three seconds where, for example, an emergency exit is. Now, <clears throat> you know, uh, do you think anything's going to bad going to happen? Of course not. It's unlikely that it will. But you know, if there's mass panic because of a natural-made disaster or a man-made disaster, um, you know, if there's mass panic, it's really hard to find that emergency exit then. But it's a lot easier when you, you know, when you walk in. You know, get your head out of your phone. I tell my sons, you know, yeah, do I check my phone when I'm sometimes out and about? Sure, maybe waiting to, you know, where I'm walking somewhere. I do check my phone. Of course, should I be, you know, looking with my head buried in my phone when I'm out in public? No, I shouldn't. But we all do. But here's the, the, the difference maker. I, every, you know, 10, 30 seconds, whatever, I actually pick my head up out of my phone and I scan <laughs> left and right. I check my, my sticks, look behind me really quickly 
just so I have a baseline on what's happening around me. I like to listen to music when I ride my bike or I'm walking around, but I take out one of my, my headphones. I only walk around with one headphone because I want to be able to listen to what's going on around me. So there are really basic things that we can help uh, educate our young people about, and, and they can use it to keep themselves safer as they go about their daily lives. And so, yeah, we, we care about these young people. Sometimes, you know, more than they, they realize, um, we're not trying to just jam them up. We're trying to help them lead a successful life. Jonathan, how did a troubled youth like you end up being a prosecutor? Oh, that's a, oh, that, you know, we should just do an episode on that, Tom. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 sh- the short answer is, you know, like I said, I was a good kid. I, I made bad choices. I had a very difficult family situation. And, and so I just kind of, you know, was out and about doing my own thing. And um, when, I was, oh, when I was about 17, my parents, you know, you know, thank, thankfully, they, they, they had witnessed, you know, my mistakes. They witnessed kind of my, my downward spiral. But um, they took action. They, um, they uh, against my will, they uh, shipped me off to a, a very strict boarding school. And when I say strict, that is a gross understatement. It was beyond, <laughs> mili- it was beyond military school. Wow. But it worked out, you know, it saved my life. Uh, I think it saved my life. And, you know, it doesn't mean I haven't had a lot of, you know, bumps in the road since then, but it pivoted me back on course. It put me back on the path to success. And, um, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. Um, so I'm, I feel very grateful that um, uh, I not only, you know, managed to survive those teen years, but, you know, um, I've been able to kind of use some of my own experiences, not just to write the book, but to try to be a better dad to my own son. Are there ways to navigate the criminal justice system as the accused that might make things go a little easier? Well, uh, of course, but uh, that you know that's probably you know a bit beyond what I do in the book because my book is really about prevention. It's about avoiding these situations that we can sometimes get ourselves in. Um, but, you know, there, there's lots of things, but, you know, the, the biggie, I, I know it sounds obvious, but I say it anyway, is, you know, follow the laws, <laughs> you know, don't, don't break the law. Now, of course, that is not a guarantee that you won't, <laughs> you know, be arrested or worse, you know, maybe physically harmed or something you didn't do. But it always helps to um, follow the law. And what I tell my sons, one in particular more than the others, is, you know, <laughs> you're judged by the company you keep, you know, um... You hang around with people who are doing bad things, you know, you're going to get caught up in it. And even if you haven't done anything, you know, um, there is something real called guilt by association. And, you know, you got to be careful who you hang out with. Well, that's that's always good advice, but not easy to enforce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The uh, the book is uh, is called "What They Don't Teach Teens" by veteran LA prosecutor Jonathan Kristall. Jonathan, um, do you now have the writing bug? Will there be future books from Jonathan <laughs> Kristall? <laughs> you know, I you know since the book came out a couple weeks ago, I've been interviewed. You know, making the rounds, and I've actually really enjoyed this interview. Um, uh, and no one's asked me that. So I've been waiting for someone to ask me that. And the answer, uh, Tom, is I will never write another book for the rest of my life. Because, you know, um, 
it's hard, you know, because I have a lot of other things, you know, going on in my life. And it was, it, it, you know, my wife, it's not just me writing the bike, uh, the book. It's my wife basically uh, writing the book in a way because, you know, it impacted, um, you know, her and, and the flack she had to pick up. And she did willingly because she believed in the mission. But writing the book was incredibly painful, uh, frustrating. It's just hard. I mean, you all hear about people, who, you know, the challenges of writing a book and, it was a real, real challenge. And, and, and I have to say that's not only, you know, why I don't want to write a book, but, you know, because of the pain and struggle involved, but also because I feel like I got it right. Um, the feedback about this book has been incredible and I kind of want to go out on top. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I can do a better book. I put my heart and soul into this book, five years of constant work and, you know, the feedback has been really, you know, incredible. The reviews have been great. And, 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 you know, one of the things I, I've loved that obviously during COVID nineteen, you know, it's a it's a unique time to release a book. You can't do the book signings; all your promotions, you know, are, are over Zoom or the phone. Um, but you know, because you know, I, I am in LA and and um, I am reachable to those in LA. Um, a number of people have wanted their book signed, and so I've made arrangements, you know, to do that in a safe way. And one of the things that I, you know, that kind of struck me is I thought people would buy a book for their own family. But people are buying multiple books because they have they want to share it as a grandparent or they want to share it with a close family friend or a nephew and and that's been really cool for me to see that you know it is resonating with people and it is valuable information and you don't need every piece of information in the book but you may really uh, get the help you need uh, or love only from simply a chapter or a section in a chapter and that's been really rewarding. Well, Jonathan, we have to end it there, but thank you so much for spending this time with me. And this is uh, an important book, a book that uh, somebody needed to do, and it's good that you stepped up. Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Uh, Jonathan, do you have a, a website? Yes, thank you. It's whatthedontteachteens.com, whatthedontteachteens.com. And, you know, the book's uh, available anywhere uh, that someone might buy books, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. Okay, well, thanks and good luck. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now, too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual playdates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Wish to steal the wheels off of baby coaches to make go-karts. Now, those of you that don't know what a go-kart is, a go-kart is made from wood that you take old orange crates or stuff like that, and, and uh, there's a, it's shaped like an eye, like a big eye. We'll stand it up for you. Uh, a board goes across this way, and then one goes down the middle, and then one goes across this way again. Then you have to make an axis so that you can make a left and a right turn hammer, uh, hammer down rope and everything, so you can make a left and right turn. Then you need wheels. You've got to have baby coach wheels. Got to have them. Nothing else will work. So we used to go out at night stealing baby coach wheels. 287 baby coach wheels we stole. The odd wheel was because old weird Harold had a Continental on the back. 
And uh, you get in your get in your old go kart there, and just sit in it and just pretend that you were driving all over the country. And you gotta have your own music to run to ride your your go kart. That was my music. I took mine from the from the the Rough Riders. Old Bird Harold took his from the Lone Ranger. And Crying Charlie took his from the Green Horner. We had about three million kids all racing with their own music. And so the cops heard about our stealing because the mothers reported. There are kids out here stealing our baby coach wheels. Every morning we put our children into the baby coaches, push them, the coaches don't move. Children look up and say, why me? So we had to hide them. And uh, we waited two days for the heat to blow over. And we brought them out Saturday. Saturday morning, go-kart championship of America. And we're out there, all of us, full force, 300 kids out there. And we're warming up our, our go-karts at the top of the hill. We had a race on Dead Man's Hill. It was called Dead Man's Hill because it went straight down for about a quarter of a mile and then it emptied out onto a freeway. <laughs> Henceforth the name Dead Man's Hill. And uh, we had everything. We had, we had guys that would make uh, pit stops and everything. If your wheel came off, guys would grab it and put it back on it to uh, have a two-hour pit stop. You know, because it takes a long time to hammer out the nail, straighten it back out, and then put it back in with a rock. You know, you can do it with a nail and a hammer, a real straight one, but you can't do it with a rock. Good. And we had a fireman, a little kid, three years old, used to follow us running down the hill. Had a cup of water in his hand. Whenever you went bad, he hit you in the face with, Doosh, you know, and put you out, run back up. He was fast. So now we got the go-kart championship of America, and we're all warming up. I'm warming, I'm, I'm warming up my go-kart. Hadn't even gotten out of first gear yet. Old Weird Harold's warming up his Rolls Royce. His sounds like this. And his old crying Charlie. And the kid came out with his father's underwear. He took black shoe polish, made some squares on him, and he waved him. They're off! We're going down the hill. And I'm winning by six inches. Right behind me is old Weird Harold. And he's gaining on me. It's almost like a four-way tie for first place. Old Weird Harold shot past me. Gotta catch up with him. Reached into my pocket, pulled out my trusty can of three-in-one oil. Zoomed ahead. One of the kids went off to the side and actually boosh right in the face. Got him. And I look about 20 feet from the bottom of the hill and I see 900 cop cars waiting. 
I went to my emergency brake, which is a piece of wood. Push it forward, it'll stop you if you're going about one mile every five weeks. Yeah, pew, no good. Put my legs down. I gotta stop. The cops are gonna lock us up. No, no. We smashed up 905 six-year-old kids on the ground crying. Oh, hold on. The cops are beautiful. Gonna scare us to death. Pull the guns out. We'll shoot them down right here. Kill all of them, boy. Crying Charlie broke. The cops pulled out the cuffs, put the handcuffs on us, and it backfired on them because her wrists were so skinny that as soon as we put our arms down, they fell off. <laughs> hey, Mrs., the things fell off of us, but we wasn't trying to run away or nothing. We was just standing right here. Honest, don't shoot us down or nothing, but they fell off of us because our wrists, and so they thigh cuffed us together, and that's the way we went to jail. Ta -dum, ta -dum, ta -dum, ta -dum. Yeah. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. your own chosen speed. I'm not the one you want, babe. I ain't the one you need. You say you're looking for someone never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you whether you're right or wrong. Someone to open each and every door. Uh, but it ain't me, babe. No, uh, no, no, it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go lightly from the ledge, babe. Go lightly on the ground. I'm not the one you want, babe. I don't let you down. You say you're looking for someone who will promise never to part. Someone to close his eyes for you. Someone to close his heart. Someone who will die for you and more. Ooh, it ain't me, babe. No, no, no. It ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go melt back into the night, babe. Everything inside is made of stone. There's nothing in here moving. Anyway, I'm not alone. You say you're looking for someone who will pick you up each time you fall, to gather flowers constantly and to Come each time you call, a lover for your life and nothing more. Hey, ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Well, 
that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Of course, we start and end each day in the month of October with our uh, Schlocktober pick of the day. That's one that's been around for a while. That was uh, Mr. French from the 60s uh, TV show Family Affair with Buffy and Jody and Sissy. and um, Yeah, that was uh, Mr. French, uh, a.k.a. Sebastian Cabot doing uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, we'll get back to some of the new ones for uh, Schlocktober 2020 next week, but this week we've been pulling out some old favorites. I uh, want to say thanks to all the guests on the show today, uh, this, this past hour, with um, veteran L.A. prosecutor Jonathan Kristall talking about his book, What They Don't Teach Teens, and then before that, uh, talking about uh, self-help a little bit with the uh, author of the bestseller, You Were Not Born to Suffer, Blake Bauer. And uh, I also want to say thanks, uh, a very special thanks, to Susan Goldberg, who is the um, editor-in-chief of National Geographic, talking about their new book, America the Beautiful, a story in photographs. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk to... Um, a couple of bestsellers, uh, one from Dublin, Owen Colfer, the uh, creator of the Artemis Fowl series, has uh, started a spin-off series focusing on the uh, twin younger brothers, the Fowl twins, and we'll talk about that and more, plus musical guests, M. Burns, and members of All Day Monday, so we can kick uh, the weekend off uh, early with a musical guest, as we like to do on Fridays. Anyway, that's Smoking George telling me it's time to head down the hall to the living room. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.